Hello, and welcome to the Marketing Times Analytics Podcast. I'm your host, Alex Safranis, and today I'm on with Sid Katon. Sid, would you like to introduce yourself? Sure. Thanks, Alex. Uh, hey, everyone. I'm Sid. Been on here a few times now, so uh, I'm lucky enough to have found time again with Alex. Um, I'm currently the senior go-to-market manager at Chili Piper. It's an inbound conversion platform that can help you double your inbound conversion rates and um, boost your speed to lead. Uh, currently, I am responsible for a product um, and basically work closely with our marketing and sales team to bring it to life and work on the positioning from an analytics standpoint and you know, make sure we're doing the right things and optimizing what's working and what's not. Um, in my spare time, I DJ, I get on podcasts like this, and I write. Um, hopefully, that's a good intro. Oh, and I love Chicago. I'm from here. Yeah, and uh, speaking of the previous times, uh, Sid has actually been on the podcast three other times. You've been on the most times of any other guest. So your first episode was September of 2020, and it was about organic and paid marketing. The second was two months later in November, and it was launching your career in marketing. And then a year later, almost a year later, in uh, uh, August of 2021, we did a content marketing um, podcast, and that was the most listened to podcast at 346 downloads. A lot of people like that one. Wow. Didn't even know that. Cool. Yeah. So you've done a lot, Sid. That's uh, what we just uh, what we just looked at was organic career and content. Um, I'm wondering, what have you learned over this last year? What what can we add to the list? Yeah, I think the fun one here, and uh, I'm just thinking from a hot take mentality, right? Like everything else seems like a little cookie cutter now that I think about it. That's because of me. Um, I think uh, a little hot take I have is uh, why you shouldn't trust the data sometimes. And why you have to be very scrappy in the way you do research. Um, usually, the two reasons I'll talk I can talk to you about why this is a thing. Is one, um, we now operate, and I'm looking at this from a marketing standpoint. We, we, we live in this dark social world, right? And you might have heard talked about this before, but like, attribution is messy. It's not always easy to know, um, you know, where things are actually coming from, how the buyer journey is actually working. So I don't know. A lot of recently, I've had a lot of distrust in the data, and, I, and I've um, kind of relied on intuition, and then also. Just taking a research-driven mindset to find something that it can be a source of truth, right? And it is like data. I guess it really is data. Um, but it might not be the more conventional ways that I think a lot of people are looking at it. I like that. I uh, heard similar advice in the past about um, if the data just makes perfect if if the data surprises you check the data again because it should make sense and um yeah it there's almost an intuitive check that everybody who works with data should be doing when they're looking at the output and saying does this make sense with what i would expect for this value to be yeah and i think like one thing i would add is like i'm no data expert i'm sure there are ways to get a lot of the data that is housed within you know, the startup like mine and the people who do it, and I watch them do it. Um, I think uh, more for me is that since I am not 
So for that, you know, audience right now that is maybe not as uh, data-driven or still kind of not the most analytical mind, it's like, how do you find those insights across your team? How do you kind of sharpen that skill slowly and get what you're looking for if that's not your forte and that's not something you want to focus? And then for the people who are, I think it's understanding how to communicate that to someone like me, who's a doofus, and like takes time for me to understand the data and really um, do something with it and manipulate it in a way that's useful. Um, but that's why, you know, surround myself with people like Alex who can help. <laughs> well, now I'm in marketing. I'm uh, no longer in an analytics heavy role. So oh, there you go. I can no longer help you. <laughs> welcome, to the, welcome to the dark side. I'm yeah, I like it. It feels like me. <laughs> me too. There you go. <laughs> um, so you receive the data. What do you do with data? How do you use it to provide value to a business? In my role, you know, you go to market. My job at the end of the day is to understand where the market's headed, what they want in terms of a product, and um, how we can help find those people and then retain them. So most of that data is, of course, housed in Salesforce. Um, and we're looking at things like who are our current customers? What's our I, I, uh, ideal customer profile, ICP, in terms of what are their buying behaviors? Uh, what are, you know, what title are they? What tribe do they fit under? Like, what do they call themselves? And what do they do online? Because that's how we can understand where to find them, how to, you know, deliver the right message to them and uh, kind of continuously iterate, give them the right things they need, education they need to, um, to make a purchasing decision. And more importantly, I would say, is create a relationship that uh, lasts over time. So, um, yeah, all of this is in Salesforce, right? And as, a, as someone who joined a really high, high fast-paced uh, tech startup that, you know, I would say there's a lot of smart people who probably, you know, manipulated data in a lot of ways. And I guess you could say I have too, more so from a research background. But um, the way I see it is like, I have to be scrappy. You know, my first six months, I was, you know, kind of hiding under the reports and like trying to spend hours and hours to try to get some answers. And I realized, you know, that's the ideal straight state, you know, which you see on LinkedIn, people saying you know, they can measure pipeline velocity, lead to conversion rates, all of this stuff. At the end of the day, like those are, yeah, you can get maybe a good picture. But what I've realized is a lot of the data that I now rely on, and maybe this is once again, I'm biased because of my background in research is qualitative, you know, like, can I get a 10 people on an interview and uh, or interview, I mean, like a you know, discussion, whatever, get people, 10 people, the customer stop on a call and walk me through their pain points. And then kind of in a somewhat of a quantitative framework, figure out where are those themes, those trends, you know, if there's five of those customers that are, all working at high growth startups who have received series A funding and the rest are, you know, bigger companies or um, you know, maybe those companies don't close at a higher rate or they don't retain as long or they're not as high of an average contract value, ACV value, then it's not worth it. So like that is, uh, I feel like those are the kind of things that now I use the data for. And uh, many times that is, um, not going to be perfect, especially at a startup. You know, we, we have product skews that change. Um, there's just a lot of, you know, possibly like wrong records. Of course, like this happens to everyone. No one's CRM is going to be completely clean, but that's the way I see it in terms of like how to make the data actionable and then 
little bit of a sneak peek into like the things I try to look at um, to continue optimizing. So how is the data you look at collected? Yeah, so everything goes into our Salesforce CRM and it's ingested through, I mean, basically our website and all of our other marketing efforts. So whenever a lead enters our CRM or a prospect through our website, through an event, you know, event list download and um, webinar we just ran. You know, we don't really do dated content anymore, but that could be a situation where you would collect some type of data. Um, I guess those are the main sources to get that into your CRM. And you have, because uh, you have like leads, um, opportunities, which are like the actual, I don't know if we need to go deep into this, but that, there's the opportunities, which are the actual you know, conversations and deal flow, and uh, then the accounts, which is the actual company from a B2B standpoint, right? Because leads and contacts are people, but accounts are companies. So once that kind of data comes into our CRM, we'll look at anything from like, what's the company's size? Um, you know, how are things going along? Is this a high uh, ACV opportunity? A lot of this is entered manually by our sales team and then a lot of it is also processed through something like lead enrichment solutions like a clear bit we partner with um i would say those are some of the main sources obviously like google analytics all everything we're doing from a paid standpoint um so i guess those are like kind of the sources of data but at the end of the day the the north star metrics for us are pipeline so how many people are actively you know in in the deal stage somewhere in the sales cycle um having visited something from the website or a paid ad or whatever and then closed one how many of those deals resulted in or how many of those like open opportunities resulted in a actual revenue generating you know situation where they become a customer and they're actually converted and then finally you know of course retention where we're trying to understand how long can we keep this customer and things like that, customer lifetime value, you know, understanding how we can increase ways to keep that customer longer and buying more and just being happier with what we have to offer. Do you ever feel like as a marketer, you have so many um, ideas maybe for product development or offering development, but you kind of have to stay in your lane? You know, I uh, when I started, I really didn't. I, I just felt so technically inept that I'm like, I don't have any ideas for the product. And recently I found that since I'm off, like when I'm doing my job, right. I'm also, I'm talking to a lot of customers. I'm listening to a lot of gong calls. Gong is like a, just a, uh, basically, oh gosh, I can't remember the name. Kind of like a sales coaching platform. You can listen to people's sales calls. Um, I use things like that to like really just kind of carve out, you know, a document with, my research so it'll be like okay what were these people's pain points what were their barriers um to purchase like how do they think about their current role um you know what are their motivators how are they get are they trying to get promoted i think that these are um kind of topics we also explored i think in our past conversations but honestly i think some of the stuff still remains like pretty much the same it's like how do you understand these people better in terms of who they are um, and then what is going to work for them in terms of getting them the right thing. So what I mean by that is, you know, if you think about the customer life cycle, there's just many touch points across that. And those first ones, and we tie this back to the idea of dark social, 
you know, you tie it, you, you're looking at metrics such as whatever your paid ads, like how are they performing? Are they leading to conversions? But the reality is, is that like the buyer journey, what it really often looks like is someone went to a community to learn more about a product they might want. And they just like on some blog content, maybe landed on some competitor's website. Then they heard from someone else or their friend the next week that your solution was better. So then they did a, they decided to book a demo. Okay. Well, the only thing that's going to show up in the attribution is going to be that paid ad or that first thing they clicked on. But in reality, the, the, what really drove the product adoption was, uh, was uh, the friend's recommendation. So what I see now is like now that I feel like I have a little bit of a better understanding of our product and like what the customer wants, I am able to like enter that conversation and say, hey, look, like this is what we should probably be prioritizing from a technical standpoint, product manager standpoint, and uh, you know what we should look at. So that's always top of mind now, especially as we are a you know somewhat of an incumbent product with a different value proposition than what currently exists. And I see myself as a go-to-market person working very closely with our product team. Shout out to Rachel Foster to like understand what those people want once again from a product lens and matching it to what's on our roadmap and uh, you know what, what the future holds as well. You know, because there's three I'd say the three lenses I look at that through is like how is our current production product adoption going through the issues with it, how can we improve it? What are the things that people ask for most? Because if not, you end up doing the, you know, whatever, uh, feature chasing where you're just like building stuff for your top customers. But the reality is you have to understand what's the larger market want because then you're going to have to generate new customers quickly, especially in today's environment. Um, and then the other two lenses are probably competitive. What are competitors doing? How do you match up or stack up? And how do you differentiate yourself from a positioning standpoint? How much do you think about your competitors um, when you're doing marketing strategy? Yeah, it's a great question. Um, more so now than before, I would say. Um, I guess my contrarian take is like, most people end up focusing on the wrong competitors. So um, from a product marketing standpoint, if I hear this a lot, but like this whole idea of knowing who your competing alternatives it is. I think Zuffer taught us in, in IME a little bit, integrated marketing, education at the park, Alex and I ran as a program, but it's a jobs to be done framework by Clayton Christensen, right? It's like, um, what really matters is what's the person trying to achieve and how do they use any sort of solution? It doesn't have to be your direct competitor to achieve their job to be done. And um, what we found, for example, with our product distro is the real person, the real culprit or like the enemy you might say, is a native CRM lead assignment. Um, this gets a little technical, but I'll try to I'll try to keep it high level. Basically, people are still stuck on a legacy product that doesn't do what they needed to do when they're, especially today, where they're looking for solutions that have a nice UI or easy to use, uh, cheap, and uh, don't require like so much work to deploy. Um, what you see in the market today, and what most people are using is what's easy for them, but very, very stressful and hurtful in the long run. So um, they end up acquiring technical debt, having to deal with issues that they don't want to. But if you look at, you know, I guess if someone was to look from an outsider level, if you're like an investor or you're just looking at the market in general, 
you may think that our actual competitor is someone like a distribution engine or a lean data. But the reality is we're trying to build something different and something that helps a specific niche, specific customer. So that's where we win. And that's why I think it's just, yes, I look at the competitors. We, we dig into how they're talking about themselves, how they're showing up, what we can improve from a product standpoint to reach parity or like improve and like what areas we should improve on. But the reality is you have to have your own story and it has to be different from where your competitor is headed, right? Because if not, you're just more of the same. Um, if you're trying to uh, differentiate from, from a category perspective, from a um, brand perspective, like what it really takes is understanding how are these people talking about themselves and how do I improve it? Aside from that, I'm trying to think like from a competitive standpoint, the only things we kind of look at is like, are our customers using their products? What else can we dig up in communities and research? But I would say once again, it's very, it's very qualitative, right? It's like me going to their website and saying, hey, what they change about how they're talking about themselves? What's the product say these days? You know, what's their brand promise? What's their product uh, value proposition? And that's where, that's the way I approach it. And and once again, to, to, kind of, to wrap this in a bow, it's like making sure you're thinking about the right person. It's not, um, it's not always the, the more like, I guess, what would seem intuitive um, other company that's in the market that you like thought you were going up against. Yeah, I really like that. I, a couple ideas came to mind when you were saying that. One is Tesla. I have a feeling that their competition in their eyes is not other car manufacturers, but it's things like Apple that are very entertaining and that you want to engage with and play games on and experience digital entertainment with. And you, if you see like on the Tesla um, screen in the car, there's all sorts of games and interactive things, especially for kids, families. Um, they want, Elon has said that he wants Tesla to be the most fun um, car to drive. Uh, or to have it's not like the fast it's already like one of the fastest one of like the you know maybe not one of the most luxurious but certainly like one of the coolest and most most futuristic cars and now it's like one of the most fun and that's that's a really compelling uh, mindset because then you're defining your own company and you're not just chasing the current leader um, in that category, in the, in the strict category. And you're kind of, you get to like innovate in, uh, in new directions. If you pick sort of better competitors. Oh, a million percent. I mean, the simplest example, I think I want to say it's Netflix that did this. I think they said in one of their like earnings calls or something that they realized their competitors aren't Disney and, uh, just the other streaming providers. It's video games. It's anything else that can be replacing that activity they do. And those are the type of people they have to go after. And, you know, once uh, someone can kind of boil down that insight and figure out that nuance, that's when they become dangerous because now they can say, hey, stop doing, stop playing video games. They're bad for you. Watch Netflix instead or something like that, right? And that's like why Netflix is also trying to be encroached in the gaming category. I think that's the example, but something like that, you know, either way, the, the principle holds. It's like, 
you're not just competing with your direct competitors, you're competing with your indirect competitors as well. What about in, in your personal life? Do you think this can be applied to your personal life? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, uh, recently I've been thinking a lot of just about um, what I can do from a, I don't know, kind of like a, not a side gig standpoint, but more so just like, what can I do that's semi-scalable where I can put in three to five hours on a passion project or a few passion projects a week and, uh, you know, use it as a source of revenue for sure, income for me, for sure. But like also have it kind of be a win-win with what I do for work. So like coming on a podcast like this, you know, it's like, I'm not trying to pitch Ali Piper, but I am just trying to, you know, show my affiliation to them, show my love. And uh, also it helps me in other ways, right? Like someone might, actually funny enough, this is a crazy story. Um, I've been writing a medium for few years and then I kind of went cold turkey last year. I just got a little burnt out. But um, someone hit me up like a few weeks ago on LinkedIn and said, hey, I just like how you like do storytelling. Like, can we hop on a quick call? And I was like, sure, why not? You know, this, right, this can't really go wrong. He's like, he's like, uh, how much would you want to be paying for this? I'm like, dude, just let's just hop on a call. Like, I don't have a clear service offering. I wasn't really confident in bringing value, whereas today I am. Um, and eventually I asked the question, which uh, every, uh, well, not every marketing company or any company should ask, but it's something that most marketers are doing today. You'll hear this a lot. It's like, how'd you hear about us? You know, something that is, once again, somewhat qualitative, somewhere between, it's mixed, right? Because you're asking and you, yeah, you have the data on the back end to be like, 10 people asked for this, 10 people uh, said they found us on Google, some 10 people found us on LinkedIn. This guy told me, he found me from reading an article on Medium like two years ago about something to do with marketing. And he just he saw me pop up again on LinkedIn and uh, hit me up to schedule his chat. So that's like a perfect example of dark social and how you can't always get attribution, but you get to get scrappy with it and ask the right question. Just like, how'd you hear about it? It's on my manual, you know, either you're doing this at scale, your reps might have to like fill in a field on the Salesforce report to get that type of data, or you might, you know, whatever, it's a form on your website. And then you're adding some sort of friction to that buying experience because they have, you know, now your prospect has to fill in another field. That's kind of the counterpoint, of the, the yeah, counter argument to doing something like this. But I, I use it in my personal life, right? Because when I ask that question, now I know exactly what I did to get this person here and how I can replicate this at scale. So maybe I should be writing more. And maybe I should be doing stuff like that. You know, like that's kind of one way I find in my personal life. Um, the other, in terms of even just like finding the data points that I need to uh, move forward with something, I'm uh, saying, I guess, I would say like, say DJing, for example. You're in a clear, you're on a, you're just with a group of friends getting ready for your next set. I mean, what I'll do is like just read the room, right? I'll put on a few songs all right, get the feedback loop going. Like, did this look right? What would you change about it? How did you, how did this make you feel? Things like that. Those are the types of questions. And like, those are not the types of questions you see on surveys or the data points we, we typically gather. So I think like, especially as marketing becomes more human and we're more on the hook for like, you know, really showing a person to person story versus a brand to person story. The data points we're going to look at are going to change. Uh, people talk about this whole idea of like conversation intelligence. 
I think uh, that that's kind of where we're headed. Like we need to know about what other, what people are talking about to each other versus what brands are talking about to each other. Because that's kind of what this kind of community driven world is taking us towards, right? Like you and I are gaining knowledge from each other on a podcast and I've mentioned plenty of solutions that we use. That's probably more trustworthy than me getting a paid ad and some brand pushing their product on me. And same goes for me. You know, like if I push my products on people, that's probably, or my services, that's not going to be the best way to do it. So the way I'm approaching these coaching calls and the conversations is like, okay, let's hop on some sort of call. I'll have most things templatized for you. And the way I get that type of feedback in a scrappy manner is hopping on those calls for free, you know, like seeing if I can help them. What did I learn from this conversation? Because it's a journey and like, it's not just one data point or like three metrics that you're going to pull up on a report. They're going to get you the answers you need to like really strategically decide your, your path to revenue and your, your, uh, just the way you want to approach them. It's human. And that means that there's a lot of different colors, a lot of different ways to explore this data. And, uh, yeah, that's my, that's my hot take. You know, like I, I get it. Some people are very data driven. They can get the answers they're looking for and honestly help someone like me who just has a lot of crazy questions. <laughs> but, um, yeah, that's kind of how, how I look at it in my personal life. So I want to ask about when should you get more elaborate data? When When is a business ready to scale up? Yeah, 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 yeah. Great question. Um, I guess when you have all-star data talent... <laughs> Like, and you can find it and you can get people to actually build a system around it. So that's something I think, uh, you know, I got to see both sides of it at Chili Piper. Like we had just hired, um, you know, someone for data modeling, really getting us in place when we have a clear uh, source of truth. Like we can always look at the numbers and you know, we have to report on the numbers. So it's very, it's very important. We have some sort of visibility as go to market people. And um, I think, like, really, you do need an all-star team to do that. Just the way I've seen it develop in the, I don't know, I think six to nine months where I saw it, this team being built from the ground up, it, it, it's just a lot of organization, right? It's not just like, all right, we hired some data analysts to do this. Like, I've seen those types of projects crash and burn. Um, it was like, look, we hired someone who knows what they're doing. They've done this at two other startups. They know where to find the different sources of truth, bring it together and a single solution, something like Mode is what we use, Chili Piper, and um, use have that be once again scalable, right? Where like everyone can go to the same place to get the source of truth. Startups are messy. I don't think like you'll ever find a place that is completely cleaned up. But we have like a stellar data team and a data team that's integrated with what we do from a operations standpoint, which is the most important, right? Because once again, this goes back to the idea that like the metrics you look at, you should look at with a very uh what is it not skeptic don't be a skeptic but be skeptical like with a very skeptical lens because it's not perfect data most likely there's probably going to be some screw-ups in there and like who knows right and in and, and the startups history of operating for a few years there's going to be a few things that don't get tagged right there's going to be things that happened probably i don't, I don't want to say under the table but like just didn't get reported um, and that's all like institutional knowledge that you have to gain over time. So that's the kind of stuff I think like a stellar data team does. They get integrated with the marketing team. They get integrated with ops and really play uh, play the team game to like 
understand what's going on and, and, and write down like, you know, a plan for how to get, acquire the right data, manipulate it correctly, and then display it to the people who need it in a way that is uh, the most impactful. Yeah, that's very powerful. How would you say you your career has panned out in terms of the size of the companies you've worked at? Have you always been at small companies or have you been at larger companies? Yeah, I mean, I think I've always been somewhere in the mix. I mean, I played most of my career in the agency world, right? Where I was like, it was a really interesting dynamic, I guess you could say. Like I started at a small marketing agency slash patient recruitment, clinical trial type of um, firm where we're, we're focused on the marketing. And what I would say there is the trickiest part about that is like, since we are servicing clients, we're getting, we're just getting a, a snapshot of the data. You know, we will ask for it for a hundred ways, but either they might not have it is what I've, and now that's my suspicion that most companies really just don't even have that kind of data. But the, the answer we usually get is like, Hey, that's proprietary. That's something we don't really share. And then you're kind of operating in this black box, right? So when you're in an agency, a lot of times you'll, like, I found myself just being like, did this work? Like following up weeks later and being like, I don't know, was this a good thing or not? Did we recommend the right thing? That seemed cool. Seemed like a cool idea, but we have no way of knowing if this worked. And then the other part of it is like, I, uh, yeah, I, I don't know what to optimize for. I don't know how well I did. So it's like, in terms of my own performance, um, how do I know that I'm helping the company out? I'm not being, uh, I'm not being a, uh, I don't know, like a, a burden, you know? So I think that was something I should have been severely. Like, I was just like, I'm putting in the work, but that is the only thing I know. I can't actually measure how much of an impact I'm making. And that was very stressful or like, just like, didn't feel good, right? Because on the side, I had already started, like, even, you know, uh, Alex, so, you know, I tried to start my own startup. I know exactly what the numbers look like, right? Like, I have an idea of, where there's sales? Is this product working? How can I optimize for it? I have like a supplement brand, brand and a fitness apparel thing. And uh, uh, like I could know what like what actions I was taking and if it was going to work. So that was like, that's the optimal place to live, right? Because then you can you can continue getting better. Like it's, it's actually a marketer's dream, you know, to be tied to revenue. Because if not, you're just going to keep having this conversation about, do we really need marketing? Are they really doing anything? Is this valuable or not? You know, that's like the worst place to be at furniture. So um, I'm, I'm saying that, but I, I don't know. I'm not, I'm, it doesn't mean I didn't love my agency jobs. I mean, I learned so much from them. I learned how to be creative. I learned how to be scrappy and start thinking of different ways to get the information we need and like work with clients the proper way. And it's not like, the agency model is wrong by any, any means. So I guess I would just clarify that. But as I got back into startups, um, like we were working for Chili Piper, it was the first six months were absolutely scary because I'm, once again, I have no idea how to get the data. I'm just like trying to strive for perfection. But in honesty, it's like, <laughs> this, this you just got to be scrappy when you're at a startup, you know, have that institutional knowledge. In the first 30, 60, 90 days, there's no way you're going to know where the, where the kind of, uh, I don't know, I guess like the hidden gems are and like how you can easily find the stuff you need. So you really do have to rely on your team and ask all the questions you need to ask. And over time, you know, it becomes easier to work with the right people who do have the handle on the data or find ways of getting it on your own. Like nowadays, I'll just look at who are our top 10 accounts. 
who are the titles of our district condos? Like very simple Salesforce reports that I would say anyone can pretty much figure out how to use, especially if I did it. Cause like, I didn't know a lick of Salesforce when I showed up and, you know, like barely paid attention in class and I was in college for a little bit, you know, and then eventually I took it seriously. Okay. So at the agency level, I was probably at like, uh, I think the first company was at like 150 people. I want to say, and but it's an agency right so like we are at the end of the day we're consulting for uh, pharmaceutical companies companies that are running clinical trials then after that i worked for a much bigger company i'd say 750 people i think now it's at like a thousand plus they had uh, a same thing agency model i would say they had access to better data just because they had been around for so long and had a somewhat of like a more of a framework a template a blueprint for how to get this data from their clients and use it in actionable ways. So, you know, as I got a little bigger in company size, I actually had for a little bit, I would say a little more visibility. But that's from a, once again, like what shows up on the report, on those slides, on those Excel sheets that you should look at with a very, very, uh, with a great assault. Because what you can, it's tougher to do at those, uh, at a bigger company is uh, trying to tie it back full circle is to ask the questions you want answered to figure stuff out. So let's say those are the first two jobs at agencies. Then I moved to health insurance kind of startup. I would say the data was pretty imperfect there. Um, not to knock on anyone, it's just it's just how it works, it's just how things go. Then I uh, went to Chili Piper and I would say like, I got to see how this kind of stuff gets built out in a good way. You know, like it, when, when it's well done, just because I think we had the right data team People were asking the right questions. There's a culture of, hey, like let's just like you. There's no dumb questions, you know. If there's something you don't know, let's figure it out together. Everyone's very open to doing that, you know. And I'm kind of drinking the Kool Aid here, but I would say like at a smaller startup, I think I joined them. The company was probably around like the 150 mark an hour. I want to say 250 plus. Now, obviously, the startup was a different dynamic because I'm within a startup versus being an agency and consulting. So by inherently the company size kind of factual probably isn't as, um, as pertinent, but at Chili Piper, like I got to see how the, I asked all the questions, see where the data really goes and like how I can use it to my advantage by working closely with other people, working with this data team who was figuring out ways to aggregate it in ways that are meaningful and like change the topic when it was needed and really focus on the right questions. So I would say like that's, for me, that is a sweet spot because then once again, you get to see where everything's started and like actually under, understand where the tagging is, where the, uh, where you can find the things you're looking for. I guess is the way I'd summarize that. Yeah, makes sense. Sid, I want to thank you so much for coming on the podcast and I hope you come again soon. Yeah, this is so much fun. Like, it's such a great way of articulating our thoughts and even just catching up with you. So, I really appreciate it. I'm glad I could do it for the now the fourth time. It was so special to me. And, uh, yeah, man, let me know when I can do it again. Hopefully, this is useful for the audience. Um, if you want to find out what I'm up to or just get a quick chat going, just hit me up. I'm on LinkedIn. Um, and check out Chili Piper. Check out what I'm going to be up to. I'll probably start writing more. I'm just going to do my self-promo thing because if not, no one's going to do it for me. Um, 
that's really all I got. And obviously, follow the marketing and analytics podcast. I think Alex is just a great guy. I know they said he's going to be up to and chronology has. Thank you, um, Sid. That's all I got. Thank you, man. Thank you so much. And thanks, everyone, for listening. Bye, everyone.